The Big 5-0, and no, I'm not talking about celebrating someone's birthday. I'm talking about celebrating today is our 50th episode here, and it is it is a great celebration for us, but we're going to throw out some awards this uh, this episode. We are going to talk about the NFL awards and who we think ha- has a chance to win these awards and who we think will actually win it. I'm Matthew Raritan. I am your host, and this is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. Welcome everyone to our 50th episode. This is a milestone for us and we appreciate everyone who's been on the ride with us the entire way. We appreciate you guys being here and we love being here as well. So 50 is is big, but we're going to keep going, make that number even higher. And next thing you know, we'll be on episode 500 someday. So we just hope to keep uh, at this here. But as I talked about, we are going to go over the NFL awards and the finalists and just kind of lay out a case for each of these players on why we think they should win this award, the, whether it's their stats, what they do on the field. We are going to lay that out. And then at the end of each uh, segment, we are going to then say who we think will win it. We have not discussed uh, amongst each other who we think will win it. So I'm kind of curious to see if you know we have these in common or if we are going to disagree on any of them. But first, I want to introduce my co-host here. We've got David Street. What's up, everybody? And we also have got Ed Smith. Welcome, y'all. So I want to take a dive here into the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, I'm going to start here with C.J. Stroud and why I think, uh, you know, make a case of why I think he should win this award. I I mean, it, it almost goes without saying. Uh, C.J. Stroud has just been a commander and a leader uh, on the field to what he has done with this Texans team already speaks to who the play, the kind of player he is, but he's doing more than what I feel like a normal rookie does. This, this is, this guy is looking like a legit quarterback that, that who could be in an MVP race because of what he's done so far this year. I talked about this a couple episodes ago with this stat that I just found so intriguing. The reason why I did is because he is a rookie. And this is the stat here. There's only been three quarterbacks in all of NFL history that have led the league in passing yards a game, as well as having the best touchdown to interception ratio in in the league. Well, the other two quarterbacks that have done it besides him is none other than Joe Montana and Tom Brady, two of the quarterbacks who are highly regarded as the GOATs of NFL football. And to be in the same category as them in this stat just tells you what kind of quarterback C.J. Stroud is and the quarterback he's going to be in the NFL. His his future is looking bright. But it, it's more than just that stat there. This was a three-win Texans team last year. Now, a 10-win Texans team. And, oh, by the way, AFC uh, South champs. I mean, that is such an amazing turnaround for a team. But... There's a lot of people, there's a lot of reasons why that happened, but C.J. Stroud is one of those at the the top of the list, as well as D'Amico Ryans, which we'll talk about here later also. But C.J. Stroud has really brought a lot of momentum and a lot of hope to this Texans franchise that I think that their future is bright, but his, it just is even brighter in my opinion. So I I really feel like C.J. Stroud is going to, uh, win this award because of those things, those stats, and that's just how I feel when it comes to that. But there's another rookie out there on offense that actually really made his his imprint in the NFL this year, and it kind of came out of nowhere. Unless uh, 
you went to BYU or you really paid attention to BYU, you may not have even known who this guy is. Well, now you better know who this guy is. That's none other than Puka Nukua. David, talk that's about right. it. Yeah, that's right, Matthew. I mean, this dude was a fifth-round pick. Wasn't expected to do anything, and this dude just completely comes out of nowhere. Um, on the same team, by the way, that employs uh, Cooper Cup, you know, the guy who had arguably the best season ever for a wide receiver um, a, cu- a couple of years ago. Um, this guy just bursts onto the scene. Like, as far as stats go, he had 1,486 uh, receiving yards, um, which um, which led all rookies, by the way, and he had six touchdowns. And also keep in mind that Puka Nakua – was the only rookie to be in the top five for uh, for receiving yards. This dude was a human highlight reel all of the 2023 season. And as as I said before, okay, to do this on a team with Cooper Cup is just you know phenomenal. And Cooper Cup has, I don't want to say he's become a non-factor, but he hasn't come close to reaching that like that all-time status that he hit back in back in 2021. And it is because of the emergence of Nakua that the Rams uh, were able to uh, make the playoffs with, you know, with a 10 and seven record. And I don't know how many years Matthew Stafford has left in the tank. Um, but, but, uh, but Puka, you know, being a, uh, being a rookie and just seeing the obvious abilities that, that we see from him. Um, I tell you what, he's going to make Matthew Stafford play longer, or at least he's going to, make Matthew Stafford want to play, play more years, you know, just because of how incredible this dude was. I mean, as I said, the dude was a highlight, human highlight reel. And, and even in the playoffs, the dude went off. And and if you weren't able to see it in the regular season, everybody should have gotten a chance to see just how incredible Puka was in, in the playoffs. So, you know, um, I think you can make a great case for um, for Puka, not just because of the stats he had, but also the impact that he had on the Rams' offense. So that's the case that I would like to uh, make for Puka, a fifth-round rookie who just completely came out of nowhere. Yeah, he really did. I mean, uh, there have been several receivers who have came out of those latter rounds that went on to have huge success. And t- Antonio Brown, who was on my team as well as yours, David, although now he is a big head case, that guy was one incredible talent, and uh, he was drafted in the later rounds. But this guy was not drafted in the later rounds. In fact, he was drafted really early, and a lot of people were skeptical about that. But he is in the conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and that is none other than Bijan Robinson for the Atlanta Falcons, Ed. Yep, and <clears throat> I will start Bijan Robinson's case with a hook'em, because, uh, so, of course, that's where he came from. And it was really one of those cases where he's in the talk for offensive rookie of the year because of the hype around him and the talent that you see him have. But, it, you know, he was not utilized in the best way possible uh, in his first year. He almost hit a thousand yards with four touchdowns. But it's one of those things where if you are not in the right offensive system, with the right head coach, you are not being utilized to your full capability and you're just wasting away. I feel like uh, Bijan Robinson's uh, rookie campaign was almost a, I don't know, an audition rather than showing truly showing the league what he can do. Yes, we all see the balance. We see the power. We see the uh, elusiveness. We see the open field. We see the hands. You know everything that he has to offer, but the but Arthur Smith, you know, getting fired before he after the last game of the season, you know, he was just not as his quarterbacks. Who are these guys? They are nowhere near on the offensive level of what Bijan Robinson can offer. So, you know, when you're when you're putting it all together, yes, he had some some pretty good stats. You know, 976 yards, four touchdowns. He would have gotten better as the game along, but for some reason, when you get into the second half 
Arthur Smith absolutely refused to run him. Through the 17-game schedule, he only had 61 carries in the third quarter and only 48 carries in the fourth quarter. I don't know if you're trying to save his career or uh, for your next season, which not a next season for Arthur Smith. That's that's for sure. Uh, but I will make the case that Bijan Robinson can be the offensive rookie of the year due to what we've seen him be able to accomplish and what constrained manner he was put into in his rookie season. Yeah, let me just add real quick. You know, it's funny, Ed. You would think that the same guy who somewhat succeeded as the offensive coordinator um, in Tennessee just by giving Derrick Henry the rock over and over and over and over again would know, hey, I should do the same thing. Now, granted, Bijan is not Derrick Henry, but the point still applies, right? 100%. And he's got fresher legs than what Derrick Henry has at this point in his career. Absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, that Atlanta team, you know, they only had about two positive things pretty much for this year, and that's Jesse Bates, who they picked up in free agency on defense, and then B. John Robinson, who they drafted on offense. So uh, now we'll have to see how things go. But, guys, who do we think is going – who will win this award? I feel like I could bet that all three of us will have the same answer here, and I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud easily on this offensive rookie of the year. Oh, not even – dude, C.J. Stroud should be – okay, maybe he won't be unanimous because Puka did have an incredible year. But, yeah, no question, C.J. Stroud for me. Yeah, it's three for three for me. C.J. Stroud is the man. Yeah, yep. and, and and that's the tough thing sometimes about these awards, and I think we're going to talk about one here later too, that if it wasn't for the top guy, and when I say the top guy, I'm talking about C.J. Stroud, Puka Nakua would have won it any other year hands oh, yeah. down. But yeah. that's just how the cookie crumbles is a, that's just greatness. And CJ Shroud showed that this year, but this next award though, I think is going to be a lot closer than the offensive rookie of the year. And that's defensive rookie of the year. Uh, Vegas wise, the odds have really changed a lot this last week. And I'm wondering if we are going to feel the same way about that too, but I'm going to let David take it away with CJ Shroud's counter- counterpart here. And that's Will Anderson. That's right. And, you know, we've talked about it before, but the Houston Texans were really, they were led by a a youth movement this year, you know, with a rookie um, offensive player, a rookie defensive player, and a a rookie head coach, Will Anderson, okay? First of all, let's let's go over his stats real quick, okay? He had 45 total tackles, seven sacks. Ten and a half stuffs, which if you don't know what a stuff is, that, that's basically a, a tackle on a on a running running play that's meant for a negative yard, you know, basically something like that. And he had sixty-seven pressures, which was the most among rookies. Okay, but beyond the stats, the reason why Will Anderson should get heavy consideration for Defensive Rookie of the Year, guys, is because like how C.J. Stroud made a clear impact on the uh, offense, really the whole team in general, but the offense. Will Anderson made a clear impact on the defense. And if you want proof, last year, the Houston Texans had far and away the worst, the worst rushing defense in the NFL. How bad were they? They they let up 170 yards a game on, on the ground. They were atrocious. But this year, they only allowed 96.6 uh, yards per game on the, uh, on the ground. That's nearly a 74-yard difference, if my math is correct. I'm not a I'm not a math person, so just bear with me here, okay? Um, that is astounding, and that phenomenal turn turnaround. I'm not saying that Will Anderson reason, but he was he had the biggest impact in that turnaround. He was the biggest reason why the Houston Texans went from one of the worst defenses, certainly the worst rushing defense to one of the best rushing defenses just like that. So Will Anderson, he has the numbers to back up his claim, and he has the impact to back it up. And gentlemen, could we could we possibly see the same team take home Offensive Rookie of the Year and Defensive Rookie of the Year? Has that ever happened? I honestly do not know. It's, it's going to be close, but... Uh, you know, these other guys here have, you know, something to say about on why they think that they should win. And Ed's going to kind of talk us through of why Devin Witherspoon out of Seattle should win this award. 
Yeah, uh, Devin Witherspoon, being a cornerback, you know, you're not going to get a lot of stats to really, you know, go ooh and ah about, you know, with stuffs and, you know, pass defense, you know, at the line of scrimmage, batted balls, that type of thing. But what you will see is an offense that completely shifts its focus away from his side of the field. And that's, that's a big part of, you know, why he's in this conversation. Uh, you know, he did have 16 passes defended. He did force a fumble. He did have the 97 yard, uh, you know, to, uh, interception return, you know, pick six. Uh, with Pete Carroll, a defensive-minded coach, you know, as his coach, and he's going to get more development this upcoming season with Mike McDonald uh, being hired today by Seattle uh, to take over uh, <clears throat> the Seahawks. And, you know, it's going to further his development. But as far as this season goes, you're not going to get a lot of, you know, look at this and this and this and this and this, you're going to have to watch the tape and watching the tape. You'll see why uh, teams were afraid to throw to that side of the field because he was all over the place over there. And there's really nobody that, uh, that took advantage of him uh, being over there and being a rookie, you know, out there on the, out there on an Island, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, we we were spoiled, obviously, with the you know Revis Island, Richard Sherman, the Champ Bailey's, the uh, Charles Woodson's, you know, that really made cornerbacks so famous. But being in the NFL is tough because there are times when stats aren't going to be on your side because nothing is being thrown your way. So you have, kind of have to look at things on, well, why is it not being thrown their way? Well, that's because that's how great of coverage it is. But nowadays there is a stat for everything, so you could ultimately find that. But uh, with the NFL, it, it is tough to gather almost every single stat for a player. And sometimes stats aren't always going to be in favor of a player, but they still could be the best out there. And that's kind of my talking point actually on this next player. And that is Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter, since week one was pretty much the odds on favorite to win this award. There was just something about his presence that from the get go was, well, this guy is going to win it. And although he didn't end up finishing with the best stats out of the rookies uh, that are in this awards, I mean, more the likes of Will Anderson, uh, it was his presence out there. And I'm going to, I'm not going to compare him uh, solely to this player, but I, I'm going to compare the, the situation to this. Well, we had a guy named Aaron Donald who would win the NFL Defensive Player of the Year almost every year. He would win that award, and you could compare his numbers to some of the other defensive linemen, and they may not have been better, but it's his presence on the field. Jalen Carter brings that same presence while he's there as defensive tackle for the Philadelphia Eagles. And I really feel like if you watch the film, you watch the tape, just like Ed is saying, you're going to see a guy who is – has such a pro style, who has been ready, who has been doing this since he was back at Athens with the Georgia Bulldogs. It, he was just highly regarded as being a really top defensive player, and that's what he's been doing with the Philadelphia Eagles. But a lot of things the last five to six games really fell off for the Eagles as they went on a losing streak, Well, and he didn't perform stat-wise the best either. So he kind of fell off a lot of people's radars, but he is the favorite still to win this award, but by a very slim margin. But I think if you were to turn on the film and you watch Jalen Carter out there playing, you are going to get shades of Aaron Donald as he was dominating and still dominates that defensive line for the Rams year in and year out. I mean, the guy the guy trains with knives. That's how good Aaron Donald is. But Jalen Carter is also in, filling in those shoes, I feel like, as an up-and-coming defensive tackle that you're going to have to keep your eye on and circle his name every single game that you're going to be playing against him because he's just that good and brings such a presence. But Guys, we we have to just we have to choose though who we think will win this award. I told you this one's going to be tight. Um, Ed, I'm going to start with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it you know the double whammy. Uh, 
Will will win. Uh, there's just, you know, because when you when these awards are being voted on, you're looking at the second half of the season, mm-hmm. you know, and taking into account what happened in the first half. Well, guess what happened in the second half of the season? Will Anderson's team made it to the playoffs. Uh, Jalen Carter didn't. Yeah. And, you know, Devin Witherspoon, as much as you can throw the tape on and see how dominant he was out there on the edge, uh, you're not going to get enough, you know, buzz about him. So I'm going to put uh, my vote in for Will Anderson. David? You know, um, I, w- I was heavily leaning toward uh, Devin Witherspoon um, just because – in my opinion, I think uh, cornerback is the hardest uh, position for a rookie to get accustomed to, um, and the impact that that he made, um, you know, as a rookie, that position was was incredible. But I got to go with that here, man. Like, how, how can I not go with Will Anderson? Because he has the stats again. But the clear impact that he made, you know, helping lead the Texans to go from the worst rushing defense to a damn near top five uh, rushing defense. I mean, the like the dude made an impact on, on the team, you know, and he was a big reason why the Texans went from a joke to division winners and why they probably are going to run the AFC South for the foreseeable future. So count me in with Ed. I'm taking Will Anderson. Well, no surprise here. Another clean sweep. I am going with Will Anderson also. Uh, there, There is a reason why there has been such a swing lately in the uh the odds but uh, he's not the favorite he's but he's he's just behind the favorite and the favorite being Jalen Carter but I think Will Anderson and exactly what Ed said what he did in the second half really I think opened the eyes to the voters uh and that's what they saw they saw a clearer picture with him whereas the others they weren't able to really see that and I think that does ha- that's a big factor there but before I uh, uh go on to this next award I gotta tell you about this coffee I had this morning guys I don't know about you but my routine Every single morning is wake up, brush my teeth, let the dogs out, drink coffee. I have to do that. And if I don't, I can't function. But I found myself a new coffee that just really gets me going in the morning. It makes me feel like rejuvenated, like I just had the best sleep in the world. Maybe it's the caffeine. I don't know, but it's working. And that is North Arrow Coffee. But if you're looking for a delicious cup of coffee that also supports a great cause, well, you got to look no further than North Arrow Coffee Company. Their specialty grade coffee beans are ethically sourced and roasted to perfection, providing a rich and satisfying taste in every cup. But that's not all. Every purchase of North Arrow helps support life-affirming organizations that provide resources and support to families in need, plus You can also get a 10% discount on your first purchase with the promo code ADP10 and support us. Don't wait. Visit northarrowcoffee.co slash ADP today and start your day with a cup of coffee that truly makes a difference. And you could be just as hyper as me when you have it. Maybe you need it. Maybe you don't. But give them a try, guys. But uh, this next award is Coach of the Year. And I talk. I I mentioned his name earlier, and you're gonna start seeing a trend here. I feel like in these first three uh, awards, that was not by design, but D'Amico Ryan's guys, Houston Texans, and he is a rookie head coach also. Yeah, used the youth shall be served uh, when it comes to uh, the the this past season. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's, you know, coming from the Shanahan tree. You know, he actually had an opportunity to uh, be in the line for a head coaching position last year, and he decided he needed that one extra year, uh, which is rare for coordinators to do, you know, being the coordinator for San Francisco. You know, he spent that – he said, you know what, I need to spend an extra year under Shanahan because this guy knows how to coach, and I need to – put myself out there more, take more responsibility as a head coach while still being in the coordinator position. I think he did a phenomenal job, you know, understanding what it was going to be like as a head coach before he took the job in Houston. And it shows, you know, he brought Slowick in 
uh, as the OC, who's in line for uh, head coaching positions, even though as of today he has taken his name out of those uh, considerations until next season, doing very much what D'Amico Ryans did, you know, to get an extra year under his belt to understand what the whole organization needs him to be as a head coach. But when we're talking about where D'Amico Ryans came from, he was a Houston Texan. You know, the conquering hero comes home. And he made it work in the place that just loves the guy. And he loves the city of Houston. You know, and the with him there, the window for championships are wide open. And it all started with the first step. The first step of the Texans organization getting out of the garbage heap and onto the playing field was hiring this man, D'Amico Ryans, uh, who should be the the uh, coach of the year. And if there were a rookie coach of the year award, he would sweep that as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I – Pretty much agree with that. And what he has done there, he seems like that guy that's just going to be there forever because just how much uh, he has the love for that city and they have the love for him too. He's just going to be that guy that I feel like is going to be with the Texans the rest of his career. But, uh, you know, another guy that is going to be talked about up there as winning uh, coach of the year, and that's Kevin Stefanski for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, what Stefanski has done this year, I feel like a lot of coaches would struggle to do. And what I mean by that is four starting quarterbacks. Actually, every coach before did struggle to do that, as Stefanski was the first head coach ever to start four different quarterbacks and still make the playoffs. The Browns were, were, were surprisingly good. And on top of having four different starting quarterbacks throughout the year, bringing in Joe Flacco at the end, they lost their star star their star running back uh, in Nick Chubb, who is just an animal out on the field. They lost him pretty early on as well in the season, and they still continue to do this. But that could be pot, part of the reason why their defense was just so good this year. That's what helped them win these games. But it has to still be talked about what Coach Stefanski did for this Browns team to lead them to the playoffs, regardless of how good their defense was, just shows you the coach that he is. But it's almost like kind of like the the tables have turned because just a couple years ago, he was the D'Amico Ryans of the Cleveland Browns as he won coach of the year with them when he brought them to the playoffs for the first time in almost 20 years. It, it, he turned this franchise around, uh, and he did with Baker Mayfield too. So it, it, and that's not a dig at Baker Mayfield. It's just he wasn't the right guy for that job. But nonetheless, they they still made the playoffs that year. He won Coach of the Year, and he won the game sitting in his basement at home. I don't know if you guys remember that. I do because they beat my Steelers, so of course I'm going to remember that. But he was at home in his basement because this is when COVID was around. Um, but he is a leader for that team uh, as their coach, and I know they're happy with that hire that when they did hire him and how well he's been doing. But uh, the fact of the matter that he still got his team to the playoffs this year with all the injuries and turmoil they had there I think is incredible and is a reason why he should win Coach of the Year. But we got another guy who – you know, wants to say something too. We just talked about him last night in our episode, and that's Mr. Aggressive himself, not Dan Lanning, but Dan Campbell. Yes, that's right. Not Dan Lanning, Dan Campbell. Uh, just a little mistake that I made because they're both named Dan and they're, they both have aggressive philosophies. Look, guys, there are, you know, I think generally speaking in sports, there are teams out there who win in spite of their coach and not because of their coach. Prime example I can think of is when the Miami Hurricanes won the 2001 title with Larry Coker, but every everybody and their mamas knew that Larry Coker was not the reason they won and, you know, and then what then they just kind of fell apart toward the end of his uh, t- tenure there. But this is not the case with with Dan Campbell. The Lions truly go the way that Dan Campbell goes. And the way that I look at it is if you want to know how good a coach is, look at the like look at how the teams have been performing on a year to year basis, okay? 
Year one under Dan Campbell um, in, in Detroit, 3-13-1. Year two, 9-8. and eight. Year three, 12-5, and five, and a division title for the first time in a 1,000 years, okay? Clear year-to-year improvement under Dan Campbell. That is a clear indication that this guy knows how to coach. And just, you know, beyond the on-field results, this dude lives and breathes Detroit. Um, when he first came to Detroit, he was actually crying. Like, he was in, in tears because, you know, for the first time in a, in, a, in a long, long time, the Lions finally had a guy who truly embraced the culture of Detroit. It certainly helps that he played in Detroit before. So he knows how, he knows how the people of Detroit tick. Like, he, he knows what makes them tick. He knows what, what makes them work. That is a man who embodies everything that the city of Detroit is all about. And it is because of Dan's uh, philosophy, his play calling, everything that the Lions, and at, at the risk of beating a dead horse, but it is true, why they went from a joke to um, to Super Bowl contenders, just one went away from the Super Bowl in just three short years. So guys, I think when you look at the job that Dan Campbell has done, like both this year and just, you know, I, I understand the coach of the year is for is an in-season award only, but you cannot deny the uh, the impact that Dan Campbell has, has had for, for this team, especially when you look at the way that the Lions have improved from year one to year two to year three. Yeah, improving is a big part and key of the game on in, in all aspects, but from the head coach, that's where you succeed because if you're not, you're gone. That's how the NFL is, and he is showing that his trajectory is is just continues to go up. So uh, his name deserves to be in in this. But I think at the end of the day, I I think who will win it is going to be D'Amico Ryan's the. It is the obvious choice, just as I said with C.J. Stroud with the Texans, how they turned it from a three-win team to a ten-win team all in one year. And with a rookie quarterback, just speaks to how great he has done as uh, the head coach there. So I got D'Amico Ryans winning. Uh, David, you agree? I actually do not agree. And this is really, this is really, really tough for me, Matthew. I mean, this is even tougher than defensive rookie of the year because I think all three guys make a great choice. But at the end of the day, my choice would be Kevin Stefanski. I mean, you said it yourself. The guy led the Browns to the playoffs with four different quarterbacks. That is insane. Like, how can I not, how can I not go with Kevin Stefanski leading them to the playoffs despite starting four different quarterbacks? But I will just say, that I think D'Amico Ryan's is a, you know, is a is certainly worthy of the award. And if he does win it, I will not be upset w- w- whatsoever. But my guy would be Stefanski. Ed, well, <clears throat> to kind of go in backward order of how we uh, made the cases out, Dan Campbell, yes, he's done a phenomenal job, but that's over three seasons. Uh, so I wouldn't count him as this single season coach of the year. Stefanski, I I totally get your point on that. You know, it has been four different quarterbacks and really four different types of quarterbacks if you really want to get down to it. You know, being able to run offense through, you know, uh, DTR, uh, Joe Flacco. <laughs> I mean, just with those two guys alone, those are completely polar opposites on how you run offense. But in the end, yes, D'Amico Ryan's is the is the coach of the year. Uh, you know, sim- you know, just simply because you turn around and put an entire organization on your back and take them out of the garbage heap into into the palace, and that's what he did. You know, there's no denying that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I will not be mad if D'Amico Ryan's wins it. He's certainly wor- worthy of it. Yeah, so I mean that that that's not a clean sweep for the first time tonight, guys. Uh, but for the most part, uh, we have been on the trend of the Houston Texans running away with these awards. But this next award is going to be a very close one, very close. But I want to start with a Cowboys player, and the Cowboys actually have two finalists here that we're, we will 
eventually talk about, but David is going to talk us through in his case on why Micah Parsons should win defensive player of the year. Well, um, you know, ever, and again, I understand that this is an in season award. It's not a across the seasons award, but I'm just going to make a point here that ever since Micah Parsons came into the league, he has been a defensive player of the year type guy pretty much every single year, you know, uh, during, during his uh, t- tenure here. You know, when you look at his stats, he had 64 total tackles and uh, uh, four, uh, 14 sacks, um, neither of which, you know, led the, you know, led the league. He didn't lead the league in, in sacks. I think he was like sixth or seventh in, in sacks or something like that. But what he lacks in, lead, in, in leading categories, he certainly makes up for, and I'm beating a dead horse here, but impact. The key word here is impact. The Dallas Cowboys had one of the best defenses in the NFL this year, um, allowing just 19.1 points per game and just under 300 yards um, a game on, uh, you know, the with the amount of yards they gave up per, per game. Um, and Micah Parsons was a huge re- reason for that. I mean, this guy, y- you cannot talk about the Cowboys defense without, without talking about Micah Parsons, okay? Um, you remember how, before I mentioned that Puka Nakua is a human highlight reel for offense. Well, I feel the same way about Micah Parsons. I feel like Micah Parsons is a human highlight reel on defense because every time I'm watching the Cowboys or I'm hearing about them and there is some big, you know, impact play made on defense, who is it usually? It's usually Micah Parsons. So I think, you know, just when you look at his overall body of work and, you look at the way that he's been leading the Cowboys. And like I said, the Cowboys having one of the best defenses in, in the NFL. Um, I think I think Micah Parsons makes a great case. But we have other great players here uh, as well. And yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, they're, we, they're, 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 like I said, this is going to be such a close one. And it's going to be the most controversial one. Uh, but Micah Parsons, uh, ever since he came out of Penn State, has just been putting on a tear on the defensive side of the ball, and he is a fun player to watch. But before I even mention this player's name that I'm going to talk about here, I'm going to lay out some stats. This player here is the first player in NFL history to lead the league in sacks three different years. Is one of only four players to have multiple 19-plus sack seasons. And side note, the other three guys won Defensive Player of the Years those years when they did that. Um, and it's th- this guy here, uh, compared to the other finalists uh, as Defensive Player of the Year, besides Deron Bland from uh, the Cowboys, who's a cornerback, all the finalists are defensive ends. Okay? So I'm going to compare it to the rest of those. This guy, compared to the other finalists, has more sacks, more quarterback hits, more pressures, tackles for losses, tackles, interceptions, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, (laughs) pass deflections, and yes, even a touchdown under his belt. That's 10 different stats that he has on top of all the other finalists, and who is this player I'm talking about? Well, that's none other than T.J. Watt. Come on. Surprise, surprise. All right, T.J. Watt, I I try to put all the bias aside, but when I look at these stats and I look at what he's done year in and year out, especially this year, and leading the league again in sacks three different years, I really feel like this guy should be winning the award. I just, that's just how I truly feel when I look at these numbers. And I just feel like he's up there among uh, one of the the greats. Uh, We saw that with his brother with JJ and how he won the awards all those years. Why? Because he was putting up these numbers. Well, TJ Watt's doing the exact same. So I feel like TJ Watt should win this award. And that's my case for him. But there's another guy, though, that uh, same division as him who, well, he wants to put his name in, and he's going to have something else to say. Ed, who's that guy? Well, you want to talk about T.J. Watt? Not so fast, my friend. Not so fast. You know, we're going to talk about Miles Garrett here. Uh, this is just a wrecking ball of a defensive end and has been since he came into the league. 
This is a guy that had 42 tackles, 26 of them solo, you know, just doing it by himself, 14 sacks. An interesting stat on the 14 sacks, eight of them were when it was on his side of the field. So when the defense is backed up, that's when he does his best work. You know, while the defense itself did not give up, was the best defense in the league as far as giving up yards, when they when the offense did get on their side of the field, that's when they kicked it into high gear, and Miles Garrett was the catalyst for it. Uh, he is a guy that just doesn't matter what side you put him on, that tackle is scared. It just, you know, because you don't know what you're going to get. You're going to get, you know, it's like Forrest Gump box of chocolates you never know what you're gonna get you're are you gonna get the swing move are you gonna get the spin move are you gonna get the inside are you gonna get the bull rush he is so good at you know technique within you know setting up a tackle to move one way and then get out of it and just tie up the hands and feet of the offensive lineman in front of him it is phenomenal to watch and he's just a guy that you know, without him, that is a not so great defense. Yeah, he had Smith on the other side of him, you know, to help draw attention away. And, you know, and they used that, you know, effectively to create one on one matchups for uh, Miles Garrett to have, including having the fourth, fourth fastest act all season at 2.27 seconds in week three which was Ryan Tannehill, by the way. You know, he is fast, he is powerful, he is mobile, he is agile, and, you know, it's just tough to stop. Uh, You know, one of the things about playing in that division, though, you're going to be playing on grass, you're going to be playing most often in not great weather conditions, and that's exactly where Miles Garrett flourished. Uh, when you look at the Cleveland defense as a whole, you know, especially pass defense, they gave up 20 fewer yarder, fewer yards than the next best team uh, in pass defense. At home, they only gave up 216 yards a game. That is a phenomenal number, especially when you consider uh, the next team behind them gave up 270 you know, so you're looking at, you know, a 50 to 60 yard difference, you know, in yards giving up through the air. And what uh, keeps the uh, keeps the pass game at bay? A pass rush. And he is certainly the guy to do it. And that's why I make the case for him to be the defensive player of the year. Yeah, uh, I, I mentioned that this is going to be one of the close ones and it's going to be quite the controversy, but I have a feeling that uh, we're all going to be in agreement here who we think will win it. Uh, Ed, I'm going to let you go first. Uh, I'm going to go with Miles Garrett. You know, I, I know you've got the stats on your side for TJ Watt, but I think it's it's more of him carrying the entire defense and not just being phenomenal on his own. David? Uh, you know, it's between Miles Garrett and TJ and TJ Watt for me, but if I really but if I really had to uh if I really had to choose, I'm gonna go with Miles Garrett. And just like Miles Garrett just ever, ever so slightly above TJ Watt. Like you certainly made an, an amazing case for him, Matthew. Um, but as we've talked about before with the Browns having like what four different quarterbacks having being, having being carried by their, their defense and the best player in defense clearly being miles Garrett. I'm going to go with MG here. Just going to say guys, the Steelers are one and 11 without TJ Watt. If he's not their most valuable player, I know, I know, but I am in agreement with you guys. I think miles Garrett will win this award. I think that, uh, he shows up when, uh, they need him the most and he's just, 
way more just kind of explosive out there on defense. I do think that TJ Watt does hold the stats uh, compared to him, but I think ultimately uh, Miles Garrett will win this award. Um, but this next award um, is the Offensive Player of the Year. Not the before, MVP. Oh. Before we get there, like there, there really should be a Defensive Player of the Year and a Defensive MVP because I think in that case, Defensive Player of the Year would go to TJ Watt, but Defensive MVP will go to Miles Garrett. Just well, want to throw that out there. I also want to throw that out there too. That uh, I gosh, I can't, I can't name the uh, society that did it, but they named uh, T.J. Watt AFC Defensive Player of the Year, which I think is funny because Miles Garrett's probably going to win the award, and he's in the AFC. So the <laughs> society was that voted T.J. Watt. It's like, well, he's not going to probably win the actual award. But mm-hmm. uh, but back to what I was saying about Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, uh, it's not the MVP. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there. But offensive player of the year, and uh, you know we got some we got some cases out there on who can win this. But uh, uh, David, there's a very very speedy guy out there nicknamed Cheetah, who wants to win this award. Don't blink, or you're, or you're gonna miss. Uh, I already missed him. <laughs> I missed him too, guys. Tyreek Hill had an absolutely incredible year. Like, how incredible was he? Listen, we, we, we've we never had a 2,000-yard receiver. The closest we had was Calvin Johnson back in 2011, I think it was. Well, Tyreek Hill was – like, Tyreek Hill came so close to becoming the first 2,000-yard receiver in NFL history. Ultimately, he didn't get it because he kind of slowed down in the end. But nevertheless, let's go over his stats real quick. He led the league with 1,799 receiving yards, and he tied for first uh, with 13 touchdowns. He had 29 20-plus yard receiving plays, which was, again, tied for first, and he also led the league with 83 uh, first downs. Guys, I know a lot of times um, when you think of, like, your most valuable player on offense, it's usually always the quarterback. But that's not the case here. And that's not a knock on Tua. I think Tua is a great player, and I think he gets way too much undeserved flack. But there is no question that Tyree Kill is clearly the best player on the Dolphins' offense. He's clearly their M- MVP. And to, like, to me, he I, I think you can make a great case that Tyree Kill was the best offensive player um, this year. I mean, certainly... Um, leading the league in two major categories uh, certainly help helps his case. Like when you watch when you watch the sky, I mean, there's a reason he's he's a uh, he's nicknamed Cheetah. Like defensive backs cannot catch him; they they can't catch they can't catch him at all. Like the by the time you by the th- by the time you think you have him, the dude's already in in the end zone, right? Scoring a touchdown for for, for his team, and. I cannot believe the Chiefs traded him. Um, yes, I know the Chiefs won, won a Super Bowl without him, okay, but but still. But what a get for the Dolphins, man, because, like, this dude is just – this dude is just – I mean, he, he's a cheetah. Like, I don't know what else to say, but, like, he he is a cheetah disguised as a human being. So that's the case that I have for Tyree Kill. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy that you know – uh, how fast he is, but you still can't cover him. I, it's just crazy that you can't come up with a scheme that's going to cover him. He is just that fast. But this next guy, I am really interested to hear Ed kind of discuss his point on why this guy should win Offensive Player of the Year, and you'll kind of catch my drift here. But Ed, Lamar Jackson, Offensive Player of the Year. Well, David, you said – uh, how Miami became more relevant uh, because of Cheetah uh, being down there. Well, Lamar Jackson has made his entire team relevant since he showed up in Baltimore after his esteemed career at Louisville. And this year was no exception. You know, over 3,600, you know, he is basically the full package of offense in one player. Uh, when you're talking about his yardage throwing three, uh, 3,600 yards and 24 touchdowns at, to seven interceptions. That's more than three to one clip, which is a great stat line. You know, it's not Rodgers esque, but when you're talking about what they ask of him in the passing game, that is certainly adequate for what uh, the Ravens 
uh, need out of him. But the real story becomes his rushing. 148 rushing attempts for 821 yards and five touchdowns. You know, that is why even why do you even have a running back at that point? Just let him run Q power or, you know, just use the wide receivers for your RPO game because, you know, it's going to be Lamar carrying the ball. That's simple enough as it is. Now, there was a bugaboo for him, and that was the fumbles. You know, he had 11 fumbles on the year. He lost six of them. You just can't do that. So that's 13 total turnovers just out of him. So I do think that that is a bit of a bugaboo for his uh, Offensive Player of the Year candidacy. But he is the same quarterback that led the uh, Ravens to the number one seed, you know, winning uh, 10 of the last 11 games of the regular season. So as far as being the offensive player of the year, he is the offense of what the Baltimore Ravens have. And there's no doubting that. So that is going to be my case for him being the offensive player of the year, being basically 90% of the offense of the number one seed in the AFC. That's fair. By the way, Matthew, before you uh, go on to talk about your next guy, what I find absolutely hilarious is that I'm supposed to make a case for him for MVP. So I have a feeling that for my case for, you know, the MVP, I'm just going to be like, yeah, what Matthew said. (laughs) Well, it's funny that you said that because my case for MVP is who Ed just did. And it's pretty much verbatim what he just said, but that just shows you uh, just how similar we think. But, uh, but yes, this next guy is none other than Christian McCaffrey. And I want to talk about the award. It's it's unfortunate, but this is like the MVP runner up uh, award. It's kind of like a, a consolation prize where it's usually a non-quarterback who wins it. Um, in the last seven years, only two quarterbacks have won this award. Kind of goes to show you that it is usually a non-quarterback who wins this, but they're usually not going to win the NFL MVP. But this guy, Christian McCaffrey, can make a case for both because he is just that good. He is your Swiss Army knife on the uh, field where he has over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. So to be exact, 2,021 yards from scrimmage, 21 touchdowns total. So yes, he is a Swiss Army knife because when you tell him to do anything, he'll do it. He is you know, uh, uh, pretty much like a field general that is not a quarterback. He will play receiver when you need him to. He will. He is your your running back one, but he is just so talented at what he does. I I'm telling you, he's one of the most talented players I've seen out there. Uh, he his presence is felt every single game he's out there. And we talked about this yesterday on the episode. Some of these first down runs that he has is some of the hardest runs you'll see out of a guy. And this is a guy who lays it all out on the field. He really does. It seems like every game I see him bleeding. I see bruises all over him. Why? Because that's how hard he plays. He loves the game and he wants to win. That's really what he wants to do. Granted, if you're in the NFL, I hope you all have that in common is you want to win. But this guy really wears his heart on his sleeve. You're seeing his effort every time. But, guys, over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, 21 touchdowns. Uh, this guy is the total package, and he could probably play quarterback. He'll he'll punt return. He'll kick return if you tell him to. And I guarantee you if he was punt returning and kick returning, you're going to see the, the same sights that we saw when he was at Stanford. He'd probably run it back. That's just how good he is, but they just don't want him to get hurt. So that's why he's not out there. But Christian McCaffrey is my case and my winner for Offensive Player of the Year. And I'm just going to go ahead and say right now, that's who I think will win this award is Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to agree with you. Uh, As far as, you know, as we talked about in last night's episode, I think Christian McCaffrey is going to win the Offensive Player of the Year, but not the MVP. I think we have another clean sweep. Yeah. Yep, McCaffrey, I, I mean, I feel like that was uh, 
one of the easier easier ones, and that's not to discredit the others, um, including Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill was on pace for a while to set the record. It, it, his presence is almost as felt even more than Christian McCaffrey. There, it's just the NFL. You've got incredibly talented players, but <clears throat> this next award is the top of the top. This is the very best. And narrowing it down to three is even a, a tall task, but we did. And we're going to start out with Josh Allen with the Buffalo Bills, Ed. Yes, uh, Josh Allen, you know, tip, the MVP, the tip of the top, cream of the crop, number one and moving higher all the time. You know, that is, uh, that's where we're at. And Josh Allen, I think, makes a great case to be the MVP, not just because of offensive numbers, but also the perseverance of what he has gone through this season, bringing the Bills back into the playoffs, back into getting the home field game against the Chiefs, which we saw how what happened there. But, uh, you know, over 4,300 yards, 29 touchdowns. Yes, he had the 18 interceptions. That was just him trusting himself more than maybe he should have at times, you know, and trying to do too much uh, when things were kind of collapsing around him. You know, some wide receivers were being a, maybe a little diva-ish and not care, not catching the ball like they should have. I'm not going to name names. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and then, you know, how uh, the rest of the offense kind of goes around him. The team surrounds themselves around Josh Allen. You know, he is the unquestioned leader of that team in that locker room. And, you know, they won the last six of their last seven games to get to the number two seed so they could have that home field game against the Chiefs. You know, the only that loss that they had was a was one of the games of the year, the uh, 37-34 overtime game at Philly. You know, that was a game that kept everybody glued to the set, you know, and, you know, one of the, if you want to throw out a stat that really puts it over the top for Josh Allen, I'm going to tell you about the 15 rushing touchdowns. You know, that's more than Christian McCaffrey had. I mean, that is a phenomenal number uh, to also be the quarterback. Uh, you know, throwing for 29 touchdowns. So you put them together, you've got 44 touchdowns and lost 22 turnovers. I I would take that two-to-one ratio. I don't know about you guys, but I would figure something else out, you know, to help him uh, further along. But he, Josh Allen, does make a compelling case for MVP just because of who he is, what he has done this year, what he's gone through this year, and what they accomplished by the time they got to Week 18. Yeah, this is one of the awards that it. there's a lot of people that are really making a case on why they should be the MVP, and Josh Allen is one of those. We saw that uh, coming down the stretch when it mattered the most for the Bills, but I, I'm. You're, it's going to be de- deja vu right now. You probably just heard this about you know, seven minutes ago, but Lamar Jackson, guys. <laughs> I mentioned just the award before this. I used the term Swiss Army Knife, and well, Lamar Jackson pretty much is that for the Ravens offense. He is the Ravens offense because of him at the quarterback position, not only throwing it, but running it. Lamar Jackson has been labeled even earlier in his career as a running back more than a quarterback. And uh, well, now you are seeing a guy who could do both. And why say that just because he could run the ball is bad? It's not. It just shows you how versatile he is and how valuable he is. Keyword, valuable. And he showed that and put that on display this entire year. And just like Ed said, winning 10 of the last 11 to then end up getting the number one seed in home field advantage throughout the entire playoffs is just exactly what they needed and exactly the player that Lamar Jackson is. And unlike the Browns, who had a defense that carried them, the the Ravens, 
both their offense and defense carry them. That's just how great of a team they were. Uh, Lamar Jackson was this offense. They do have great players like Zay Flowers there, and they did have to deal with injuries with Mark Andrews and had players like Isaiah Likely step up. But Lamar Jackson, guys, and Ed Ed talked about the stats earlier, but 3,768 passing yards with 24 touchdowns just in the air. And then you look at rushing yards with 821 and five touchdowns on the ground. It is just so balanced that it starts kind of reminding you of the guy who won the Heisman Trophy this year. Oh, yeah, Jaden Daniels. Yeah, that's exactly what he did, too. This is a guy who did everything for this offense. But Jaden Daniels had a lot more weapons than Lamar Jackson did. But Lamar Jackson is really showing how he has grown up into – a really good quarterback, guys. I know he won the MVP back in 2019, but we are seeing a guy grow into a great quarterback more than just using his legs. It's just he was able to use his legs because he's just that talented. So Lamar Jackson, I really feel like that's my case on why I think he should win the MVP because of everything he did for this Ravens offense through the air and on the ground. But, David, I know Deja Vu is going to strike again. Christian McCaffrey. What Matthew said. (laughs) No, look, man, look. Um, You know, Matthew already gave us the stats. um, But I'm going to split the stats here just so you can get a clear idea of just how versatile of a player Christian McCaffrey is, okay? Um, Through the air. 1,459 yards and 14 touchdowns. Uh, wait, excuse me. On the ground. Woo. Yeah. On the ground. 1,459 yards and 14 touchdowns. Through the air, 564 yards and seven touchdowns. Okay, so like we're not talking about a guy who had a crap ton of receiving yards and then he just had, you know, or dang, dang it, a crap ton of rushing yards. And then just sprinkle in some receiving yards to make it look like, oh, like, look at all these all-purpose yards he had. No, this guy was truly balanced on the ground and through the air. But there's also a couple of stats as as well, guys, okay? Christian McCaffrey had 83 rushing first downs, which was far and away the best in the NFL. But beyond everything everything that, that I've told you guys, this is one stat. That, to me, just blows my mind and why Christian McCaffrey truly stands out above the rest. He had just two lost fumbles. With all the touches that he got got on on offense, guys, to have just two lost fumbles is absolutely phenomenal. And it really just shows us that not not only is this guy just a great player on offense, but he is quite literally Mr. Reliable, that he has depended on that much in the offense, and he still just gave the ball away only two times. That is absolutely incredible, and that is the case that I make for Christian McCaffrey winning the most valuable player. Yeah, when you are involved in the offense that much and only fumble it twice, it just shows you how reliable you are. Uh, But guys, this award, it's already been pretty much written off who's going to win this, and uh, I'm sure we, we, we may even be in agreement who we think will win it. But guys, I think this award should be closer than it really is. We know who is already going to win this award and then i'm just going to say right now uh, lamar jackson will most likely win this mvp award um and, and rightfully so i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna mean to say that he he shouldn't but i just think that this should be a lot closer than it's going to end up being in my opinion but uh uh ed this reminds me of uh the greatest show on turf year uh, with Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, mm-hmm. uh, because it's a very similar situation. You know, you've got you know a quarterback that you know is great at running a high flying offense, an offense that's going to gain a lot. You know, and then you've got the running back that is the all purpose for said offense that does everything for you. So. While I pick Christian McCaffrey as the running back to uh, get the offensive player of the year, just like Marshall Falk did that year, and then Kurt Warner got the MVP, Lamar Jackson is getting the MVP on this. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is going to win MVP, and I think he definitely deserves MVP. Ed, I thought you made a, made a great point about this offense is Lamar Jackson. Like, this offense goes the way that Lamar Jackson goes. But I'm also in agreement with you, Matthew. And honestly, like, I think this is going to be one of the closest MVP MVP votes in NFL history because, you know, Christian McCaffrey especially makes a phenomenal case, but it's another clean sleep. We're all in agreement here that Lamar Jackson will and should win MVP. Well, that's the thing, David. I don't think it's actually going to be that close. I think it should be that close. It's just everything that you hear on social media or if you tune in on TV, you can watch it. Uh, they're, all they're talking about is Lamar Jackson will win this easily. And and th- like I said, he should win this. But I just think it it, it, need, it should be a lot closer, but I just don't think it will be. But uh, we'll, we'll find out, though, when the awards do come out. But mm-hmm. uh, Lamar Jackson, though, I think will win this. But for the most part, we were in pretty much agreement on almost pretty much all of them except for Coach of the Year. Is that right? Where David... Had to ruin our perfect record, I think, and uh, kind of. I'm hey, yeah. what can, hey, what can I say? I'm a contrarian. Hey, I, we had two outs, <laughs> bottom of the ninth, and you had to ruin our perfect game. So, uh, thanks a lot. But I do want to give a huge thanks, though, to you guys out there. This is our 50th episode. I mentioned it at the beginning. It is a milestone for us, but I want to thank you guys for being here and being a part of it and just making this possible for us. We absolutely love what we do, and we hope to continue to give you all the content you guys desire. So with that being said, continue to support us by hitting that like, subscribe button, share these videos, and of course, comment uh, how you feel about these awards, who you think is going to win. I really want to hear your guys' predictions because uh, although we might have had uh, most of them in common until David had to screw that up, uh, you guys may think differently as well. Maybe you'll be on David's side here. So let us know how you feel in the comments section, guys. But until next time, we are rounding third and we are headed for home.